this week an out now with Aaron and Abe. We have an out now bow wow talking Isle of Dogs. Ruff ruff bow 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 wow. <laughs> Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is... Abe, hello! Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. However, we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's one of our fun commentaries or something completely different. And this is something completely different. Uh, this is going to be a bonus mini-review, or a full review, just a bonus review, basically, of, bonus review. Yeah. of Wes Anderson's Isle of Dogs. Uh, we wanted to get around to this movie. There's a lot going on in April among other things that are happening. Um, so we just wanted to make sure we talk about this movie because we are Wes Anderson fans. Um, we are looking for, we were looking forward to this movie. So it's like, good, we could get a chance to talk about it. And it just so happens that the internet be the internet. And there's also a lot of other opinions about Isle of Dogs out there. So we, wanted, we figured we could kind of address everything and go into our thoughts on the film. And as well as kind of the, the you know, the, the commentary going on around it. Um, and we, by the way, we've got so much stuff coming out in April. It's kind of ridiculous. Tons of stuff. So, uh, yeah, yeah just going to be a packed week next week. Yeah. But you know, for now, just settle in with this out now. Bow wow. Uh, joining us, nope. joining us to talk Isle of Dogs. We have from the hip streets of LA. I wish somebody spoke his language. It's Jonathan Van Dyke. What? What? Bow wow. Um, <laughs> no, stop it. <laughs> yippee yippee Exactly. That, that one's okay. Poochie the, the, the you can't, dog. You can't say yippee yippee without adding a bow wow at the front. That's just how it works. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's Long Beach native Snoop Dogg's uh, his, his marquee right there. So you can't not use it. We had to play just think of it like as like the, this is like two throwback. Back when SNL did parodies for like Jordan's retirement. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Look it up. All right. Well, John, how, how John, how are you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing well. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm going to be coming in with the freshest, hottest of takes uh, since I just saw this movie about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. No, that's that's good. Uh, I want to. I want to get this freshest of hottest of takes. I, I saw this movie like three weeks ago. At this point, Abe, you've seen it twice within the past week. Uh, yes, that's correct. Yeah, so we, we have all kinds of differing perspectives based off the amount of time we've seen it on, so this should be good. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that's what we're going to do. We're just going to talk about Isle of Dogs. Um, I guess I should put up a spoiler warning. I don't think we'll necessarily go too far into spoilers, yeah. but I'll just... And also, I don't know if there's like a whole lot to spoil. Yeah, say. that too. But So I'll just, I'll just say, like, if you, you know, if you feel very precious about how much of Isle of Dogs you're going to learn about right now, just, you know, maybe see the movie first if you're really interested, or, you know, just stand by and know that we might go into certain things more than we might have expected, but we probably won't, but just put that warning out there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's do it. Let's get to our main review for Isle of Dogs. The Japanese archipelago, 20 years in the future. Canine saturation has reached epidemic proportions. An outbreak of dog flu rips through the city of Megasaki. Mayor Kobayashi issues emergency orders, calling for a hasty quarantine. Trash Island becomes an exiled colony. The Isle of Dogs. I don't think I can stomach any more of this garbage. Exactly. Same here. Words out of my mouth. Nobody's giving up around here, and don't you forget it, ever. You're Rex. You're king. You're duke. You're boss. I'm chief. 
were a pack of scary, indestructible alpha dogs. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Isle of Dogs. A few years after his Oscar-winning hit, Grand Budapest Hotel, Wes Anderson is back. Rather than continuing in the world of live action, however, Anderson has built his latest film, Isle of Dogs, in the world of stop-motion animation, much like his 2009 film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. In Dogs, the film revolves around a young boy, Atari, his odyssey to find his lost dog spots on Trash Island. All the dogs are located here after being banned from Megasaki City in an effort by the mayor to keep his human citizens safe from dog flu. During this quest, the boy is joined by several dogs led by Brian Cranston's chief in an effort to help. As all this is happening, however, there may be more going on than suspected when it comes to what's really going on with all these dogs and the nature of their relocation. John, you're a, you're a Wes Anderson fan, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, that, that'd be correct. I think I've seen... At least since Royal Tenenbaums, every single one in theater. Um, after that, I'm saying. Um, mm-hmm. And definitely Rushmore is one of my favorite movies, uh, probably of all time. Um, one of those movies I remember seeing as a quote-unquote whatever age kid I was then, uh, either junior high or high school, where, you know, a formative one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I've always enjoyed West quite a bit. So where did you come down on Isle of Dogs? Um... Isle of Dogs is interesting. Um, I want to, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of chatter going into it uh, that I couldn't quite ignore, uh, and so, in some cases, I think I might have enjoyed it a little bit more if I had like somehow closed my ears before ever seeing it and then opened them for the discussion because I was kind of. This is one of the first movies I can remember. Uh, this and especially Three Billboards, where like the chatter was so chattery beforehand that I was kind of thinking about the chatter during the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I would say it, it's another enjoyable Wes Anderson experience. Um, and, and obviously stop motion is something I like to go see in theaters. I like to support kind of these different art forms and, and see how they go. Uh, but in the Wes Anderson canon, uh, I would say that this one, uh, Still, uh, still an A for me. Still an A or a B plus. Um, but uh, well, probably didn't quite hit home as much for me as, as some past Wes Anderson efforts on very, very, very first blush, where I haven't even gotten like a, a night to dream about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the you freshest know, of fresh takes. Let it seep into me, but like, um, I would say that I did kind of. I don't know, I found myself kind of smiling at this movie more than a lot of Wes Anderson movies of recent note, though. I will say that. That kind of, this one had a little bit of a of a lighter touch, maybe than Grand Budapest, or or kind of a few of the, the other more recent live-action ones, for sure. And, and it was kind of, I just thought there was kind of some more, the quippiness of it, especially between the dog interplay, I thought kind of played more humorously. And then and a little bit more, uh, either big smiles or even little chuckles than than uh, than Wes Anderson always hits. So I thought he was at least on top of his game as far as the uh, Wes Andersonianness of the the dialogue and the interplay. And then of course, as a movie, it's a it's a, a visual sight and everything's in its right place. Even more so because he was able to create <laughs> everything from scratch. He didn't have to go find the <laughs> cemetery or build the cemetery. He was a it was all from scratch, and so it's obviously a cool-looking movie, uh, and got to respect the craft, uh, but I'm still kind of chewing on the conversation around it, and 
and I, and in some ways, it's not quite as strong as to like overshadow the conversation and the chatter around it to me beforehand. So like, I, I almost didn't get a chance to quite enjoy it on its surface level outside of kind of like I said, enjoying a lot of that interplay within it. But as like a full piece, I was already kind of in the middle of the movie and then definitely after kind of tackling uh, some of the issues we'll probably bring up as we as we go along here in regards to cultural appropriation uh, or, or homage, et cetera. Mm-hmm. All right. Abe, how about you? Uh, are you asking about the Wes Anderson question or just general thoughts? Uh, both. Both. Wes Anderson, uh, I'm a fan of Wes Anderson, quite a fan, I'd say, and uh, much like uh, JVD, I, I haven't uh, seen you know stuff like Bottle Rocket or uh, or uh, Rushmore in theaters, but I think I've seen almost everything else in theaters. Um, and so it's it's one of those things where I enjoy Wes Anderson for his quirkiness, for his his symmetry, like the the term that Jonathan used, as well as just the stories that he tells in his uh, in his his Wes Anderson ways, I guess. So for Isle of Dogs. Much like any movie that I, that I go out to see, I don't read anything beforehand, and I don't uh, uh, watch more than you know a t- teaser trailer and, and first trailer kind of thing. So while I, I had seen some some brewings of some controversial stuff, I still went to Isle of Dogs um, uh, with an open mind and an open and an un I guess untainted uh, mindset, and I enjoyed it. I, I really thought that it was a, a cool adventure story of. A uh, young Atari going to find his dog, and this this relationship between man and dog. Um, does it have its Wes Anderson quirks? Yes, of course. I mean, Jonathan mentioned the symmetry, but also the camera movements, its pans, its shifts, etc. Very much so. The way that the characters speak. I mean, it's written by it's co-written by Anderson as well as uh, a handful of other folks, I guess. Um, he is. Um, uh, he has the screenplay credit. It has the story by credit by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman, and Konichi Nomura. Yeah. So it's uh, a lot of story by and then one one screenplay by, but um, it's um, it's a fun adventure. It's really neat just to kind of see this uh, non-existent real city Megasaki, um, and just the way that it's got this isle island of trash. But more importantly, I think that there's just uh, some some themes that emerge from it that make me think about it as well. I mean, obviously there's. Um, Sure, the cultural appropriation thing is more after the fact. During the movie, the the biggest one that I did kind of notice was why a foreign exchange student is the one that's leading this this student uprising, um, and the other one is kind of just why um, why twelve year old students would become uh, people in power at the end of the movie, which is just like I don't know. That's a, a, I guess a uh, an Anderson quirk, but on the whole, the themes of just um, detention centers and and kind of um, being familiar with uh, these animals and kind of them being your pets or them being more than pets, those were nice. They were they were heartwarming uh, heart, heartwarming scenarios and heartwarming themes around just um, the importance of of uh, being loved unconditionally. And so, uh, while I did go back and I did read stuff from news outlets about the appropriation and the the way that the story can be told in different ways, I suppose. Um, I largely kind of didn't have that much of a uh, of an issue with it. Like, that's not to say that it's, it's not as I I see it now and I don't acknowledge it. It's just more that um, I'd have questions about 
how you would handle it or who would handle it. So on the whole, I, I found it enjoyable. I found it to be a nice adventure story. Uh, it's not it's not Grand Budapest Hotel level of whimsy and fantasy and and like love, but um, it is it is uh, certainly uh, Anderson one of Anderson's uh, better works. Sure. Um, I am a huge Wes Anderson fan as well. We're all Wes Anderson fans of this podcast. <laughs> um, I I like what he does. Um, he's a director that's yet to make a bad film um, in my mind. This is his ninth film, and I like every single one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what do you? Yeah, yeah, wait. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna table, table that, that one. Thought. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say though, even his even his worst film is still a solid movie. Um, and worst is not a word I'd use. Just be like, nope, it's just the one that's not as good as the others. Um, but um, with regards to Isle of Dogs, because what else am I gonna say about Wes Anderson? You guys have already pretty much covered it. I seen every one of his movies in theaters aside from the first you know the first two essentially um and i i go with great anticipation every time out um file of dogs yeah no this is another another win uh for me for him i i've seen it only once so far if i love a girlfriend um i look forward to seeing it more whether it's in theaters or just you know watching it at home um especially so i can kind of make more of a determination on where it sort of lands in the uh in the realm of of ranking his films, not that it makes too much mm-hmm. of a difference, but um, as it stands currently, no, this is just a this is a this is another solid animated film. Like I love seeing him go back to this stop motion animation world because I am a huge fan of Fantastic Mr. Fox. I, I rank that very high in my Andersons. So seeing him go back to this, I was excited already, just because like well that worked for him really well last time. I'm looking I look forward to seeing what it does this time. And here you have it, this just this gorgeous piece of work that. <laughs> it almost feels like a cruel joke for Anderson because he seems to hate dogs so much <laughs> um, as far as <laughs> the the nature you know not hate dogs but they don't get they don't they, 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 they don't do well don't, in his other they don't they don't do well in his movies generally so now yeah. it's like now all the dogs are being relocated to another island and ditched by humans it's like wow he's, he's this is he's gone all out with the with the with the his 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 use of dogs at this point um but no as you know it's it's finely crafted the the work here um to create the you know this very imaginative world um is spectacular to look at um the the, uh the anderson regulars that provide a lot of the voices they all you know leave their stamp as they do it's a very funny movie as john you were mentioning there is a lot of kind of if you're not laughing you're at least kind of smiling throughout this film at least i was just because it's it is very you know quippy and fast-paced and it just it it has you in this kind of right mindset as far as what it's trying to do with these kind of characters using Anderson type humor. Um, there is more to delve into as far as the use of Japanese culture, and I'm not avoiding yeah. that right now. I'm just kind of talking about the kind of general. Oh, we're definitely I have. Gonna get into it. We'll get into it. But um, did you read? Did you did you just come up with the the dog take on your own, or did you read that? Because now I'm like begun to think about dogs and all the other movies. No, obviously right. Royal Ten- Royal Tenenbaums has the most. Um, well, right. Chick of dog things. I, I, I was like, I didn't read that. I, I, I thought of it when I saw it, when I, when it was coming, and then I wrote about it in my written review. But I mean, World Tannenbaums, Moonrise Kingdom, um, uh, life, life, life Aquatic. They have to. There's a three-legged dog that they have to leave behind an island full of pirates. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, do, uh, dogs don't. Uh, they don't fare well in Anderson films. Um, I thought that this this movie, uh, and I think he's pretty much gotten 
He's never been bad at it, but I think he's even somehow gotten better at like self editing and like keeping momentum moving forward. I think when you look, think of Anderson contemporaries um, or just these style movies, sometimes they can go a little too long or linger a little too long on moments that they don't need to. And I think this movie in particular just moves from start to finish and doesn't really waste any time, uh, doesn't linger in any manner. And that kind of makes it, you know, when when he goes into the, when he does go into the world of, you know, stop motion and a little bit more whimsical, even for Wes Anderson, um, it, it kind of helps to, to have it be so vibrantly moving forward plot-wise. I thought that was a real strength of this movie. Which I, I think is impressive, given that the, I mean, one of the clear homages is Kurosawa, um, who I, I, I don't I don't find Kurosawa's films boring, but there's certainly kind of a, there's a deliberateness to the pacing of a lot of his efforts. And you see that style here, among others, so Ozu comes to mind as well, but like the way you're, you know, kind of seeing, because the movie's not specific, it's not necessarily, it's Megasaki City and Trash Island, which, much like the rest of Anderson's films, which all don't take place in a specific, not, you know, f- they take place in fictional locations. This has, obviously, it has its roots in Japanese culture, but it's not specifically Japan. <laughs> but, um, which is not a not a way to get him out of any kind of hole he's dug himself into, but it's just more saying that's just how he seems to work. But, um, no, as far as using, as far as kind of paying homage to those other filmmakers or whatnot, you 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 see you see a lot of elements that call to mind certain films that call to mind ideas in the not even the realm of samurai, but in the realm of like just the nature of seeing different foods, different different points of view, different uh, understandings of uh, a master versus the dog and whatnot. Like it, it all the way it comes into play. Um, it does. Ha- it does. Like it connects in a way that where it's like, okay, I understand everything that's going on. He's showing me things very clearly, and yet it keeps moving the whole time as well. And it, you're right, John. Yeah, it does. It's not a. You're never. I'm never stop. I'm never. If I'm stopping to see things, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing, but it doesn't feel like it's not adding to the story that's being told. And uh, I feel that's partly because it's stop animation, so you can't really waste a lot of frames. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like, it'd be a waste of like, okay, well, let's just have Atari or you know some of these dogs just like sitting there pondering about life. It's like, you know, this is costing us a lot of money. <laughs> let's let's keep the story going. Yeah, there's no time for deleted scenes in movies like this unless it's except in like the storyboard phase. Like, there's you can't yeah. really much of much like uh, you know any animated film or whatnot because you you know right. time is money. Um, Hashtag like go see like a movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a uh, it's interesting to me too that like he's kind of uh, I don't know. It's fascinating to me when we bring in new actors into a universe, and uni- uh, like a, a cinematic universe, mm-hmm. under the guise of an auteur like Anderson. I kind of think about that, like when Sorkin brings in new people. How are they going to do? And I thought, you know, in my office, this this is Cranston's first with him, right? Oh yes, I think that it, it, is. Is. Yeah. it is. Yeah, and then he's got Lee Schreiber in there too. Yeah, I, I was wondering. About and like, that. they both seem to equip themselves very well in that. Like, and Greta Gerwig for that matter. Anderson characters talk, so I don't know if that's a testament to him, the like... actor, or both. But uh, it is. It's always kind of fun to add to his ensemble because obviously everybody else we know even you know finds room for tilda swinton as an interpreter etc etc no, tilda uh, swinton is the, tilda, tilda swinton's the oracle francis the Fra- oh, no, she is the oracle. francis mcdormand's yeah. the interpreter that's right, right. Uh, <laughs> but to, to go back to some of that Bran- cranston 
Cranston might be doing some of his best work in general in this movie. <laughs> like, it's his. Does it kind of make you think, like, do. I hope we're using Cranston enough in voice acting, to be honest. <laughs> well, I mean, Cranston's, yeah. Cranston's, you know, before Breaking Bad and Malcolm in the Middle. I mean, and, and, and even during that, I mean, voice, <laughs> voice acting was a huge part of his career. Like, that's what he had going yeah. for him. Like, he's in a, he's in a ton of animated things. Uh, and so it's like, yeah, of course you get, I mean, not a bad choice to have Cranston as one of your main leads. He's a natural voice actor already. But he's still, like, the role he has as chief, this kind of de facto leader of the dogs who has this major issue going on for reasons that right. the film delves into. It gives him a lot to work with, and he's excellent. Like, he's excellent in this movie. Uh, there's Yeah, I mean, there, there's... His character, it's a dog, and it's animated. I mean, it's not motion animated, but his character has an arc, and his arc is, is one that I, I really appreciate, especially um, during, like, a tunnel sequence, in which he calls a different dog, like, oh, you son of a bitch, don't you know how much this boy has been going through? It's like, man, yeah, I'm really behind this guy right now. So, um, I it's weird to think that... Like as far as voice acting goes, you guys were reminding me of when I was watching um, the Adventure of Tintin, and I didn't realize that Daniel Craig was the the main villain in that movie. And Aaron was like, "That's Daniel Craig," and I was like, "Oh, that's that's pretty cool that Daniel Craig decided to you know do a different voice than Daniel Craig." But I agree with you that Cranston doing voice acting, there's a lot that he can do with. He's such a fantastic art, or actor that um, the inflection of his voice, or the way that he he says his gruff lines, or the way that he can withdraw and and when he's talking to somebody like Nutmeg and kind of just, you know, playing it cool, there's a lot of range there. No, there is. Now, I will say this. Something I love about Fantastic Mr. Fox is that all of that recording with Clooney and Streep and everybody, they, they yeah. like, went out to a farm and did that for, like, they just had him, like, rolling around in the dirt and doing, like, actual acting while reading all the lines. They, 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 they did the same with Rango, for that matter, too, where they just, like, they made it, like, a play and recorded it and mm -hmm. then did it, you know, to get more, I guess, naturalistic performances. They didn't do that with Isle of Dogs, which was kind of disappointing to learn. I was really hoping that they, like, went to some random location and, like, yeah, just, like, acted out these parts while reading everything. Aaron uh, only wants method acting yes. all the time. Yes, specifically in animated works where I, I'll never see the actual Where you'll never see it, yeah, <laughs> except for maybe if they yeah. have, like, B-roll. Yeah. Now, reg regardless, though, yes, I do think the kind of the voice acting is incredibly strong i mean with the anderson regulars of course as well as the you know the new folks that come in as well um however i mean this does kind of start speaking to some of the problematic issues that you know has been found at this i mean we're talking a lot about brian cranston we're not talking about the boy atari voiced by koyu rankin um which extends to a lot of the japanese cast in this movie the so how it was handled as far as what you're seeing on screen is where the the animals, the dogs, are voiced largely by American and American actors, um, and right. they're as the film has a the film has like a disclaimer at the beginning saying that the dogs the dogs barks have been translated into 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 words into human voices, right. while all the while there are no subtitles whatsoever for the Japanese actors in the film. Um, Sometimes there are, there'll be translators. There'll be translators, uh, mainly right. Francis McDormand, who has this kind of empathetic version of a translator, where she's not only translating but very much emotionally reacting to the things that she's hearing, which makes mm -hmm. for a good joke, I think, actually, too. But um, but in doing that, uh, part of the argument has been it minimizes the Japanese characters from their own movie. Um, you, while you have, you know, the rest of the dogs, they have characters, they have arcs, they work in a way that, you know, sets up th things you're supposed to admire in the film. You have Japanese characters who you can follow along with and whatnot, but they're not much of a character. Would you, yeah. would you guys agree with what I'm uh, putting out there? 
Yeah. And also, before, before we jump into it, I also want to add that some articles had also said that when the Japanese characters do say things, it's very simplistic as well. It's not mm-hmm. as complex as yeah, the so dialogue with the dog. Yeah, so if the, if the translator's not translating, it's just, a, you know, it's, it's certain lines of dialogue where you could kind of basically, you can get what they're trying to say. It's just, yeah, it's just, sure. it's just but it's yeah. pretty straightforward kind of work. Yeah, I know they, uh, Volt, I, I read a good article in Voltaire where uh, the author actually interviewed like three Japanese speakers who mm-hmm. had seen the film and, and they even kind of noted, yeah, kind of the simplistic way in which those Japanese actors would have to talk and then also kind of almost the intentionality of like kind of a, of a muffled or, or like I think one of them said something like if they had like, you know, uh, cotton balls in their mouth or something like there wasn't and and i think that it seems like maybe from a wes anderson standpoint he was trying to have us kind of pov with the dogs and then the idea would be that you don't know what those other people are saying because you're a dog but but then we run into the biggest probably problem and and honestly like i think you know some of the some of the cultural tourism etc that that you could levy on things like this and Lost in Translation are, are a little tricky. The one thing I definitely knew the second it came on the screen was uh, Greta Gerwig plays uh, yeah. the, the foreign exchange student, and uh, and we POV to her, and Greta Gerwig's pretty great. I mean, she's very charismatic, but there, there's no way that we can live in 2018 and not kind of have in the back of your mind, oh, white savior. <laughs> And yeah. Kind of, and that's kind. Of, and even though you know, the boy is the the main, technically the main character. She's the one who ends up with the agency. She's the one who rallies her all Japanese classmates. She, she's um, the one that talks down Yoko Ono. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> into into like yeah into like getting into, her stuff together. Uh huh. Yeah. It it that's again that that's a that's the one that I did notice. On first viewing, without any of the without any of the articles, having read any of the articles as well, uh, John is just, yeah. Well, you know, it's cool that there's that sh- they have this foreign exchange student. And at first, you know, when I didn't know that she was a foreign exchange student, watching the trailers, I just thought, okay, well, there's a there's everyone here is speaking English in in Japan. I guess they're all just speaking English. But it's like, okay, well, why would she have like pimples and freckles and like really poofy blonde hair? It's like, oh, okay, she's a foreign Ohio. exchange student. <laughs> so yeah, from, from Ohio, yeah, Cincinnati. Um, but that is that is one of the things where I was like, ah, I don't, I don't like if I don't think that it was intentional of Anderson saying, well, Japanese are really pacifists and they don't really so much like nobody's gonna stand up to to the the municipal leaders of a city uh, and they're all just gonna be pretty passive and go along with it. I don't know if Anderson's saying that specifically, but I did, I did. It did raise a flag in my mind of okay, well, why is Tracy Walker, the foreign exchange student, the one that's leading the charge, um, and saying that she hates the mayor and she thinks that it's a conspiracy theory and um, she she believes that there's a uh, some nefarious details at work. It's the kind of thing where, you know, obviously I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna kind of um, argue in the favor argue for Anderson. He can put up his own argument where he to want to, yeah. or he can just let his work speak for itself, which he's generally been doing as far as how his interviews have gone. Um, but you do wonder, 
because there's there's no part of me that thinks that Anderson's like purposely doing something to insult anybody. Like that's not that's not a thing that a, exactly. a, 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 a praised yeah, filmmaker is going pieces. to do. And this is one of those ones where the think piece. This is like one of the rare ones where it, it, it seems like everyone's fairly nuanced in how they're because this one is kind of, kind of comes up against the line rather than there's no you know I don't think anybody's saying anything nefarious here. Right. They're just they're just kind of saying, Wes Anderson, you know, even you, you got to kind of watch out. <laughs> like just and and I wonder if Wes Anderson would talk about this. You know, this is obviously developed well before this became kind of our our conversational norm around pop culture. Mm-hmm. You know, would he even thought differently had he been developing this last year, or this year? You know, rather yeah. than however many years ago he really got into this. So. I, I think everything he's trying to do is homage. If you if you look at kind of even how he has talked, he's he talked about his reference points. He's you know made sure to kind of divorce this from reality, puts it into a future far you know fairly twenty yeah, years. From yeah, now it's, it's, a, it's a it's a dystopian now. future involving all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in in a city that doesn't exist. Yes, it's still rooted in Japanese culture, but yes, it does. It's not. It's not Tokyo, for example. Right. Like, uh, you mentioned um, cultural tourism, and that's another thing. Like, where it was like, I don't disagree with what's with the intonation of something like that, as far as you're seeing things that j- people would generally associate with Japan, such as like the taiko drummers, uh, the the kabuki, sumo, the, wrestling. The sumo wrestling. But and I think specifically, I point to the sushi with this in addition to like everything else but when you see things that are you know very much associated with japan it not, not, none of it feels throwaway to me none of it feels just like hey here's like here's a fun thing that you generally think of when you think japan everything has a purpose everything like the the and i mentioned the sushi the sushi like it's not just like hey look we're seeing japanese people eat sushi look at that yeah like it's there's such a there, there's a there's there's, a, a, there's an intense reading on everything that goes into making sushi you see every right. single step about it and how carefully yeah. prepared it is and how what it what steps are taken what's involved what the actual goal of that scene is and that applies right, to that's that, a parallel to west anderson is it is that, and, and, and it's I, kind I, of I've hit the way he mm-hmm. he does quite well in japan that actually the japanese audience loves his movies very respectful to his movies and that's kind of i feel like that scene almost is kind of paralleling his meticulousness with what we know about japanese culture especially in the preparation of food and how you know keen an eye they have toward toward you know, they themselves uh, performing other cultures. And right. That, and, that, and, and that to me speaks and to... And a lot of it goes back... It, it speaks yeah, to... For me, it speaks to, like, both Wes Anderson's meticulous nature as far as not just this film, but all of his films as far as how 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 deep these things go as far as what he puts into to the effort for his production design, for his art direction, for his costume design, for who his characters are, what have you. But it goes deeper... But it also... It, but it also... That goes hand in hand with how I think this is more than just... I mean, you mentioned something like Lost in Translation. Movies like that that visit other cultures and give you, a, you know, a broad idea of like this is what it means when we go to this place. He's doing more than just saying this is what it means when we think about Japan. It seems like there's very precise reasons for having the taiko drummers, for example, for having the, you know, the um, the use of the language and having that displayed and so 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 prominently. Having the different uh, what are those paintings called? Um, but the. Yeah. I, I think I know what you're talking you, about. You, but you, I don't the, know what the, called either. 
there's a there's a style of those there that those yeah, paintings yeah. are, but it's like it's just like the, the famous one is like the, the the big wave. Yes, exactly the great wave. Um, yeah, but like all of those things, they have a they have an actual reason for being here, not just because hey, it's cool to see this because it's related to Japan and this movie is related to Japan, but because hey, this is actually telling part of the story, or it fits with the theme, right. or it fits with what needs to be happening for these characters right now, and that's something yeah. that I think is getting not looked over. I'm not going to say anybody specifically the kind of the mainly the Asian reviewers that have largely pointed out the problems that there are in this film, but I think there there's a there is something to say about the effort that Anderson is putting into this, not just because he thinks it's neat to do this, but because he actually wants to serve the story that's being told. I would agree, and that's where what you guys had mentioned earlier and, and what we discussed uh, just prior to starting the podcast was just that it's not coming from a place of it's not coming from a negative place. It's not as though Anderson is um, making these characters, uh, making them Japanese, and then and poking fun of it. It's it doesn't come from a mean place. It's it's one that is, I guess, uh, to your credit, Aaron, or to what, also what you were saying is he's researched it. There's intention. There's re- really like again what we mentioned earlier. There's just no wasted effort. So I can't have like a character and just throw him away and then make him a caricature of Japanese culture, that'd be mean, you know what I mean? Um, it kind of reminds me of like what, what Molly Ringwald was writing earlier this week of just Long Duck Dong. And I was like, yeah, see, that that one is an example of, you know, uh, it's, while I don't think Hughes meant anything too, too nefarious by it, it is one that does come across as like, well, that is kind of a, a dumb joke within itself, and that's just not appropriate in today's time and age. But I mean, it's still, not a, it's not appropriate then either. It's just the I would the, the populace around it at that time was not putting attention on that yeah. kind of thing as a negative. That doesn't make it right. right. It just means you know culture evolves, and you obviously you have to take stock for things that yeah, you've does. done in the past, which is completely fair. I mean, look at um, I just had an example in my mind that I was gonna say, and I can't think of it now. But, well, um, yeah. <laughs> It'll come back to you. It will. Yeah, all this stuff. It, it comes oh, I got it. About... Wait, I was I was gonna say Temple of Doom. Uh, the, I, the Temple of oh, Doom, and it's the, it, uh, the Kali Masta, yeah. Yeah, and it, the portrayal of India in general, and you know the the, na- the nature of that culture. I love Temple of Doom. I think it's the so second best Indiana Jones movie. But I but I, I don't deny that there are problems with how it's trying to portray culture and how much fun Spielberg's having with what he's doing there, as opposed to giving it more gravitas. Now there is yeah. drama in that movie, but I still think it's you know it's a it, there are there are issues that you can point out that would not be out of line given how we evolve as a culture. Yeah, I mean, if, unless we're talking about Snake Surprise, which I still kind of, you know, that that spooks me out just in general. But anyway. Um, well, you know, it all, I guess it all just for me kind of like serves as this. It definitely is this new thing that kind of is is, is like an adjustment for my mind. You know, I'm uh, it's not it's not a secret here. Uh, I'm the I'm the uh, white male. Uh, <laughs> what? Privilege. White male privilege in the group here. From from, a, um, from a, originally from a state very close to Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> I know Iowa. So, so I, I definitely have been trying to be very sensitive and really defer to the experts, to the and to not just the experts, but, but yeah, obviously the cultures that these these concerns are coming from. And so, um, like I said, uh, sometimes the chatter, even before I see the movie, you know perks my ears up so much it was just hard to um avoid but i always want to make sure i'm not like ignoring the conversation oh, for sure. but it is but it is definitely 
a harder new rea- a difficult whoa uh, with me um, <laughs> new reality too where like sometimes it's a little harder to view some of these movies from you know my perspective without you know being worried about you know like am I really am I allowed to like am I am I supposed to like this or am I, do I, how much outrage do I need to have and of course offline Aaron and I have talked a lot about you know three billboards and and mm-hmm. kind of that one I got to even way later than this one. Um, and so the cultural digression on that had really, you know, already happened. Um, and it just, it's kind of interesting because there's these, these movies that previously would have just kind of skated by and been critically lauded, but they wouldn't have come under the microscope in this way. And I think it's good that they do, but it, but it definitely also, I will say, impacts kind of at least a little bit of my in the moment um viewing or 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 definitely you know then I, you have to think so much more <laughs> right than, than maybe you previously had to and i think that's a good thing but it also um for and really i mean we've always digested movies in a in a fairly artistic hardcore manner in the past but but this kind of gives it a, a different level of academia that kind of does, especially for a movie like this, because obviously Three Billboards, I think, had some big, big ideas it wanted to, like, hit upon. And I know this one still, like you said, has some interesting interplay between master and man and, and you know, relationships between friends and dogs and people. I actually, I, I have some things to speak to as far as how I think this is Wes Anderson's most political film, but we'll get to that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but in the end, this one, you know, is still presented very in a breezy manner, uh, without like any heaviness to it. And so, except when, I, I, I will say that I wondered if he was going to go in a very dark comedy manner, um, a very very dark place in the middle of the movie when the dogs uh, get split up. Um, <laughs> uh, there. There was a moment um, there where I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Uh, yeah, I, 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 where are we gonna go with this? I, I know, I, I know what you're thinking of. Yeah, <laughs> and but so, uh, I will but, also say just because I, I'm this is completely quick non secular box. Um, I, I actually thought this this was one of the I don't know if I've ever remembered a Wes Anderson movie where there was kind of like a twist, uh, and and I didn't really understand what was happening or see it coming, and I this, I actually was surprised plot wise. And now out of that, <laughs> and back into a serious conversation. But uh, but yeah. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know as a as a person who enjoys culture and somebody, but somebody who wants to you know check themselves uh, as often as possible because I think that kind of checking is still you know dire and needed in this country, <laughs> especially. Um, it does kind of you know temper me a little bit when when watching a movie like this that has a lot of that conversation swirling around it and it makes it a little harder to just do the thing that we often have always done with movies where you kind of just go into a movie and you watch it and you just kind of let it sail by you and if it resonates it resonates etc but instead kind of there's already conversation building and it kind of changes the way you you can approach some of these films I want to um, I want to add a couple things before. Yes, please. Uh, one is because uh, I know we're all talking about this. Basically, as a, we're all positively reviewing this movie and trying to wrap our own minds through our speech around the whole, 
you know, representation argument uh, concerning the movie. And I want to say that anybody that, you know, does have d- diverging opinions from ours or whatnot, we're certainly not trying to downplay any any ill thoughts that people have towards the movie based off what Wes Anderson's choices were. Like, that's obviously, you know, it's, it's a subjective take, and it doesn't... Ours aren't any better than anybody else's. Uh, we're just trying to come, you know, basically come to terms with what what this conversation has been and what it means to us. Um, I think we can all agree with that, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and I also, and the other thing I wanted to mention, um, the yeah. politicalness of the movie. Well, I want to get to that too, but I was going to say yeah, something I else, and, I'll tra- well. and now I'm trying to think of what was the other thing I was trying to say. Um, okay. I forgot it. Um, so it's gone. Um, it's good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I remember. I remember. I remember. I remember. It's. I think part of what you know, what makes this like sting a bit is as opposed to other movies where you kind of deal with the how tone deaf or out of touch it might be. It tends to fall on movies that we don't necessarily anticipate or come from filmmakers we don't have as much respect for. Um, where this is like it's the golden boy Wes Anderson, and now he's the one being scrutinized by all these think pieces for a change, as opposed to like other movies that were inevitably going to face that or, you know, just aren't your cup of tea to begin with. So now it's like it's one of these very critically lauded uh, directors that is coming under under fire for his choices as a filmmaker, which we generally accept, except for now because he's involving you know, other cultures in a way that doesn't quite seem to fit with the current mind frame of 2018. Uh, so it's like, I find, I find all of that to be quite interesting, honestly. And I, I, I don't know what Wes Anderson's whole take on what the reaction to his movie has been by admittedly a small percentage of film critics. Others have largely looked over this, which is, you know, a, a, quite a shame. Like I, I, I do, I, I'd, I'd rather have these kind of conversations in addition to one celebrating or at least uh, digging into the film itself. Well, digging into it. Rather, rather than turning a blind eye towards it just because dogs are cool or whatever. Like, you know, right, it's... yeah. But that, that's kind of uh, uh, one of the pieces of the puzzle is also just because we're having this discussion about the appropriation part, we're also missing some themes that the movie does delve into, like yeah. what you're going to talk about, which is the, the politicalness of it. And I thought it was very political as well, but also just... Um, Akira, or, or no, Akira, Atari's, yeah. <laughs> I've been thinking of, like, um, Ready Player because, One? Because, <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking of, like, some other Japanese, but in a case, but Atari's, his own personal, uh, journey, um, because he has this really beautiful, uh, speech at the end of the movie, which talks about basically his orphanage, or his orphan status, and it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer to overlook these things, <clears throat> Not to say that everyone has overlooked them; they're there, and people are acknowledging it. But obviously, these t- these articles are are a little bit more prominent right now. Yeah, it's. I think there's a there's a good depth to this story here that is almost being taken for granted, just because that you know both this conversation as well as the you know the the technical ambitions of this film and imaginative nature of the world that's being created are so overwhelming. I think we're kind of forgetting that Wes Anderson wrote like a story that has a lot to say. Um, I mean, John, you mentioned that it's a little bit breezy, and I, I could agree to a point because it is, like you said, pretty nonstop smile-inducing. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a fun movie to watch. It's a lot more, it's a lot darker than I anticipated um, as far as its violent content. Like it's it is PG thirteen for a reason. Like there's a lot, there's there's dog fighting and injuries sustained by both humans and dogs. Medical uh, trials. Medical. There's oh my god. There's a whole medical sequence that's like oh boy. That, that much like the sushi, you see a lot of things that uh, make sense for Wes Anderson, but you know, and because it's animated, it you know kind of fits into what he's able to be doing without being concerned with how gory things can get. Um, yeah. But in addition to all of that, 
I mean, there. This is this is a story about a corrupt leader taking out things from one society and isolating them to another area. I mean, there's right. it's hard to, it's hard to not see some pretty heavy implications as part of what is what 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 could be related to there. And not not only building think, walls instead of building bridges. I not only yeah I not only think of T'Challa's call to action, but I think of. Um, I think I think back to things from you know even in, in America's past, such as like Japanese relocation camps. That's exactly right. Yeah, internment camps. That's yeah. exactly what I was thinking as well. You know, and this is one of those things where I don't think it's lost upon anybody, but uh, to to have it in here again, it it, it certainly is. It, that's not the only thing that you can parallel from it. There's a lot of other just exclusion acts, and also just um, a lot of uh, whether you're playing up, you know, a, a the superiority of one species over another kind of thing those are those are elements that are in the storyline and yeah, which are uh, they're certainly they are dealt with. yeah they are dealt with and there's a universality to some degree just because the world's history has a lot of dark shit in it so i mean yeah you can you can equate this to a number <laughs> I, of things I'm not with any of them yeah do you, you, can, you can equate this to a number of things beyond just japanese lyrication camps but i mean that's a very prominent one which i think is also i mean that also adds to why i think was anderson should be given a little bit more credit for why he's using japanese culture specifically because it kind of can throw america through a trip to have them watching american voice dogs being treated the same way americans treated japanese people in the past i mean that's yeah. there's that's a that's a that's a that's a pretty heavy it's place a to, to take in. That's a, yeah. is a lot to take in, and I think it's it's something that deserves a bit of thought that's not being mentioned and I, very and much. That, like the fluffy dogness of it, kind of just you know, you might see that and be like, okay, it, well, it's about fluffy it, dogs. It makes that's it cool. If it makes it makes it palatable yeah. in the same way that the the graphic novel Mouse is palatable. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there is definitely you know melancholy strain that goes through it, um, bordering. Oh, sure. Bordering on uh, movie maker exploitation when uh, just the sheer amount of close-ups with uh, glassy eyes <laughs> yeah, that you yeah. get in this movie, but I, I feel like that's Wes Anderson. For it. That's I mean that's that's typical <laughs> Wes Anderson. Two of those actually got me though, John. I uh, know, no, definitely. Well, especially because uh, it involves dogs, it's like it's naturally going to get you because people yeah. and lo <laughs> people love dogs, but also I mean stylistically and in terms of like the tone i mean it's very much a wes anderson movie i mean they're on it, it's an it's you know his movies are generally kind of autumn wintry type films and we're on trash island for the majority of this movie i mean <laughs> which looks like trash island there's still a unique nature to what were the visuals that we're seeing and a very an odd sort of beauty that comes out of how we explore this world i like that we have a great geography of this world by the way like that there's literal maps of Trash Island, and we can recognize where things are based on how the plotting of this, how the kind of the journey plotting of this movie plays out, and it does a great job of kind of keeping keeping us in line with, okay, I know where we are because of this stupid map scene involving where F. Murray Arahar was able to and tell us things. use a strategic flashback to kind uh -huh. of uh, quickly go back and, like, reestablish places we've been, so then it, it kind of gets more in your mind even that way. For sure. But yeah, no, it's uh, it's. I mean, yes, it, it both fits as a Wes Anderson film, but I mean, and and can you know the ambitions? I think extend beyond, as I was saying, extend beyond just the stop motion quality of it, which is incredibly well handled. But to the yeah, to the nature of what's being said in this story and what could be taken away. Excuse me, taken away of course, from it. Yeah. And I think that's like uh, that's what makes the movie quote unquote more human, more more approachable, more understanding is just. That it's not just about fluffy dogs and and being man's best friend kind of thing, but it's just about 
I, I really liked Atari's story. Again, is is um, I thought... why he needs to have uh, mm-hmm. spots, or why he needs to have, uh, or or how he has grown in his journey, uh, and how he talks to his uncle, kind of thing. It's like those are it's fantastic. It's it's, it's more character arcs. While it's not as strong as perhaps say um, uh, Chiefs. It's still there, and it's still a major plotline. I, I so. would say that I, I mean, as much as we've talked about how the Japanese human characters are somewhat marginalized within a story about Japanese culture, um, I would say Atari, I felt I felt for Atari. Like I was very concerned. I mean, both physically because he gets fucked up in this movie a lot. <laughs> but, um, but two like things stuck in his skull. <laughs> he get, yeah, he gets some severe head injuries. But no, I cared about his, you know, the emotional journey he's going on and his search for spots. Just as much as I was enjoying the you know the chief story because they're they are the two lead characters essentially in this movie, um, is and which I was so I guess somewhat surprised not somewhat surprised by as far as the boy but as far as Brian Cranston I thought it'd be more of like an ensemble dog piece with Ed Norton and Bob Balaban and Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, they're really but, just a Greek chorus. Yeah, yeah, they really are. Yeah, <laughs> like I thought I thought I really thought Ed Norton was going to be like you know one of the main things we took away from this movie. It's like no, he's just pretty much around but not. You know, not not instigating anything as far as the plot. Yeah. Although I will say that I'm I'm here for Wes Anderson using like deft, smoochy, nice guy Ed Norton style in his <laughs> yeah. movies as often as possible. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I like Norton's. I like you know the cast in general here is very good. I mean Jeff Goldblum I think is a lot of fun as the gossip. He's always hearing rumors. <laughs> he's like he's hearing these rumors. Um, I you know I could, for the longest time I couldn't play spots. I was like. I know this is going to bug me for all the time. And it's like, oh, yep. it's Leave Schreiber. That's, that's I know. For of some course reason, it is. I completely but... thought like Clooney was in this. So I'm like, is that, is that Clooney? Is that what, what's happening? I here? just, I could not place it. It's such, and it's such a like, I just, I like, I just, like, I know this is a person that I'm going to be like, oh, of course it is. But I just could not place it for the life of me. And I couldn't. You know what's weird about that is I've seen the movie twice. And the first time I saw it, I was like, I don't know who that is. The second time I saw it, I was like, oh, they used Brian Cranston twice. And I was. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I, I feel terrible about this one. As well, Abe. You, yeah. Honestly, I was. I was like, is, is, is it just him again? <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad that it was leave, but I have to go back and listen to it now. Uh, but I also thought that Rex was Jason Schwartzman. And I was like, oh, it's Ed Norton. And oh, yeah. So I, no, I, I knew Ed Norton. I got that from yeah. this. I was actually surprised that Jason Schwartzman isn't in this, given that he's also a screenwriter on this, or a, a story yeah. credit on this movie. And he's a Wes Anderson regular. He's a Wes Anderson regular, yeah. And no uh, Owen Wilson either. It seemed like he'd be game oh. to be one of these. Oh. Nope. Is, yeah. The Wilson brothers are absent. He was busy making uh, father figures, of course. So, yeah. There you <laughs> go. Yeah. And the movie with Jacob Tremblay. What's it? All right. Wonder. Uh, one plot question I have for sure. you. Mm-hmm. Why do they need a headset to talk to the dog? <laughs> hmm. What do you What do you mean? That one went over my head. <laughs> what do you What do you mean? Why do they need a headset to talk to a dog? Why did they give Why did they give Atari a headset to talk with spots? So he could, so so he, so he could better nurse him back to health. He was he was, spots was supposed to make, help make Atari better, and so they could talk to each other. Hey, but but he was like right in the room. Like well, you can't hear him. Well, he can't speak dog. <laughs> yeah, oh, language so are you thinking that's a translator? Yeah, yeah. No, it that's is a translator. Oh, no, the... see, that's what yeah. that's what went over my head. That's yeah, no, the the bar the they're all they speak in barks. 
Like you right. just, yeah, you're, yeah, just, so you're just you're just the translator. Yes. Yeah. No, that's the whole okay. thing. It's just I like like uh, like ratatouille, so where like, like when the when the rats talk to humans, they're just squeaks. hearing squeaks. Yeah. But like when they okay. talk to each other, they're talking to animals. Well, well, I feel like an idiot. So Which is cut, no, no, no. Well, no, no. you should, part, right? should it, because we're, that's why that's why I like the scene. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna put I'm gonna I'm gonna take this out, put it at the front of the podcast, and then we'll get to the it'll be in media res, and then we'll get back to this point later on. Media res. Oh my goodness. All right. Um. Well, I know we've been kind of chopping it up for a little while here. I was uh, kind of saving this for toward the end. Um, do we do we want to try to do an impromptu like top five Wes Anderson? Sure. Kind of, like yeah, kind man. of do something. Where does this one yeah. does this one slide into a, the top half for you guys? Or I need to see it more, which won't be a problem because I've watched every Wes Anderson movie a bunch. They're very easy to put yeah. on and watch. <laughs> um, um, for me, right now, it's at number six. That's where I have it. That, that's kind of where I have it, too. Out of um, out of nine, and given I like nine, all of these yeah. movies. Um, like, what's no, ahead of it? Well, for me, my favorite... With no particular order? Or? I, I have an order. Um, okay. And my my favorite, I've said this plenty of times, is Life of, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. That's been my favorite yeah. Wes Anderson movie right. for years. Um, Fantastic Mr. Fox is my number two. Rushmore, right behind that, at number three. Royal Tannenbaums at four. And then Grand Budapest. That's, that's where I have it. Yeah. Uh, so Isle of Dogs is like six. Yeah. No particular order for me, but uh, Royal Tenenbaums is up there um, with uh, with Grand Budapest, Fantastic Mr. Fox, uh, Rushmore, um, and then well, I guess it'd be like I guess it'd be like five. Then Isle of Dogs, five, six. It's around there for me. There's, there's also Moonrise Kingdom, Bottle Rocket, and Darjeeling. Moonrise yeah, Kingdom, yeah, yeah. I mean, Moonrise is, is up there. Yeah, my 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 hot take is and and like. <laughs> It's the one that's been the most under the crosshairs uh, adjacently to this conversation uh, that we had in regards to appropriation with this one. And uh, I like like Darjeeling a lot. <laughs> and it, I think it's a case of uh, it was really I was living in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. So I kind of uh, enjoyed it's just like out on the train, kind of like obviously it wasn't really a Western, but kind of had that feel and. Uh-huh. I don't know. I've always, uh, I've, I've kind of enjoyed the younger. You're in safe company here because Aaron and I both like Darjeeling. <laughs> no, yeah, I like every one of his movies. <laughs> yeah. Like, right, that, right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Same. Yeah. So I'm probably putting Darjeeling, Rushmore, Tenenbaums, uh, and probably Moonrise. Is that five? Is that four? That's four. That's four. Um, and then. Yeah, I'm kind of more up in the air. I, uh, I don't know what I put as five. It's, it's harder. I mean, obviously, I, uh, probably Bottle Rocket's the weakest, right? <laughs> it's t- it's one, one that I've seen the least amount of times. I've seen Darjeeling the least. Um, I've, I've, Bottle Rocket's really easy for me to watch. Like that's it's, it's such a. <laughs> it's it such... doesn't quite have that like. Look though, right? I need to go. I need to go back. It, it has the look. It's just it's not. You know, he doesn't have a budget to create the look. He has to find. Yeah. The look. Um, but it's. I mean, everything about a Wes Anderson movie is in that movie. I mean, it has. It has the characters. It has the meticulousness of it. It has the slow motion ending. Honestly, it has all these things that. It has. The, yeah, yeah, it's got like the. the it has the 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 the, 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 the random pop songs. It has all his idiosyncrasies. Like it's all right there. Um, it's just yeah. It's just. Yeah. Made, it's made. I feel on, like. It's kind of like I'm almost due for like a, a bit of a marathon. There's a few, like especially Life Aquatic, I really want to see again. 
Um, That's the only one I've watched before seeing Isle of Dogs. I'm like, I want to watch a Wes Anderson movie, get myself ready for this movie. I was like, I'll watch Life Aquatic. <laughs> I've watched that. It's a good one. Well, it's, my fa- it's my favorite one, but I'm like, yep, yeah. still my favorite as I watch it too. <laughs> yeah, I watched Ten and Bombs for the first time since my first time uh, about a month ago. Uh, about a month ago, and like ago. I've been really, really, really wanting to, and it was never on the right streaming or in a uh-huh. red box or whatever. Because when I saw it, uh, I don't, unlike Rushmore, which I think could hit home pretty well for, like, the early high schoolish uh-huh. college world, like, I think Tenenbaums, I, and I was right in my thinking, Tenenbaums hit me so much more now. Yeah, Girl <laughs> Tenenbaums is, like, my top two Wes Anderson, like, yeah, t- and that's the one that I've seen the most, but also... It's uh, it's a fantastic story, and, and it kind of well, it doesn't like hit 100 percent home. It's like I, I I definitely like its intentions a lot. And we talked about Gene Hackman just last week. Yeah. Gene Hackman is terrific in that movie. No, it's it's funny. Like as much as I, as much as I put Life Aquatic, Fantastic Fox, and Rushmore like ahead of Tannenbaum's, Tannenbaum's might be the one I respect the most, if that makes any sense. Like it just for mm. for the story it's telling involving this family and the quality of acting going on and like with this cast and I've never had a question with any of the acting but have Hackman is such a fucking force in that movie he's, he's Gene yeah. Hackman so it's just like it it elevates it to a whole nother level but Luke Wilson is so great in that movie Angelica Houston's great in that movie Ben Stiller is phenomenal in that movie yeah. I mean there's it, and it's like the weird one where like Bill Murray you know he's there and he has a prominent <laughs> role but he has like the least to do um, <laughs> so it's like uh, it's kind of like his, his character in Moonrise is almost like an extension of that. Yeah, pretty. Yeah, Scar's kind of this like sad sack other you know side character essentially, which is pretty much him in the other ones, except he's more of a lead in the other ones where he's a sad sack character. Isle of Dogs or Phantasm of the Fox, he's just like he's along for the ride. He's having fun. Like <laughs> that's kind yeah, of his he's thing. Great. He's doing his thing. Yeah, and that's probably why I'm and I'm probably underrating the two stop motion. It, it, probably I'm doing the thing that. The Oscars does by marginalizing animated, et cetera, et cetera. Where... Well, like, if, if you want to talk about smile-inducing, that's Fantastic Mr. Fox for me. That's why it ranks so high. It's just, everything about it is just so, like, it's, it's just so yeah. charming to me. I just sit there and, and, be, and it's just impressed by how it's all coming together. And when I watch it, it's very poetic, too. And I know that it's based off uh, the Roald Dahl book, yeah. but the part that gets me all the time is whenever he when he's fighting the rat voiced by uh willem, willem dafoe, dafoe yeah <laughs> and he asked for like the the cider and uh-huh. he's like you know i forget what willem dafoe's line is but it, it's so beautiful and sad at the same time there's a lot so. of like throwaway lines that are just incredibly beautiful to listen to and it's and you have alessandra Desplat's score right there just who's like, also great in all. all the dogs by the way what alexander Desplat's score oh the score yeah, the music, oh yeah the music's great of course of course yeah. it is fantastic <laughs> yeah. um what else? Any other thoughts on Isle of Dogs or Wes Anderson that we can get into? I, I would I would recommend seeing it more than once, and that's not because of the cultural appropriation thing. It's just more that. Sorry, there's a motorcycle go by. Leaving <laughs> but, that in too. <laughs> but it, it's more that you know, for for visual Somebody piece like this. Somebody stealing your hog. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my my 250 cc moped which is like, but it's more that you know these are visual feasts these these visual or these stop animation things so the first time i saw it i was much more into you know taking everything in and then the second time i saw it i was really getting into more of the the story so i i would recommend seeing isle of dogs more than once so, well that's fascinating because i would go the reverse on that logic which is mm. the first one i'm just trying to like follow the story 
and I know there's so many more interesting details. Like, like at one point he's in like a little cave made of like what like sake bottles they're, yeah they're like sake bottles yeah <laughs> like, yeah like there's I, and i know that that was a little more obvious but and so i guarantee there's so many more frames of like creativity in a trash island that that i didn't even have the remote ability to catch with my eye when i was trying to follow the plot and kind of just keep up for sure no, so I, I i look forward to another viewing to kind of take in those details hopefully on a big screen and I look forward to owning it, and then I look forward to owning it again in five years when it comes on Criterion to get the real behind-the-scenes <laughs> look at the movie. Basically, we want to be friends with Wes Anderson. That's it. <laughs> well, so, well Abe, some know, of us have interviewed him already and are friends with Wes Anderson, so, you know. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> um, that's when I interviewed everybody for Grand Budapest Hotel, and it was like, wow, I got to do all of that. That's great. Um... <laughs> But yeah, no, I, I, as far as when we should go and see this movie, I would certainly say in theaters. Yeah, I would, no, I would I mean, echo. Yeah, no, theaters for sure. I mean, th- this is, yeah, a rare opportunity to see something that is so detailed that a big screen gives you a, a greater advantage than uh, if you saw it at home. Yeah. I'll be curious how it does overall at the box office. Not that Boyce Anderson's ever been much of like a, you know, a, a giant draw. What um, is his biggest? Do you know? His biggest is Grand Budapest, uh, actually. I um, I just had this in front of me. Uh, Do they make their money back? I don't even know how much his budgets are for these kind of movies. They don't tend to be his big his his biggest like cost loss was Life Aquatic. Like that cost the most, and it was like fifty million and made thirty four. Um, otherwise, his movies don't tend to be all that expensive. Great, no, Grand Budapest by far is the biggest one. Twenty five million to budget, one hundred seventy four worldwide. Um, wow. Yeah, Royal Tannenbaum. It, it flew past Royal Tannenbaum's was previous. Flew past that. Royal Tannenbaum's at seventy-one worldwide. Yeah. Um, so it's you know, yeah, the, his movies are, don't tend to be very costly. Isle of Dogs cut. It was no production budget, but I can't imagine it was very much. Fantastic Mr. Fox was forty million, and that made forty-six for production worldwide. budget. For production, yeah. Okay. Yeah, for, like yeah, they don't tend to do all that well, but I mean, it, it, well, like, isn't the wasn't the early news that you know once again we. We broke the boutique record or whatever. It had a high, yeah. It had a high per theater average. Not his, not his highest, but it's certainly, you know, yeah. Given that he always does like staggered releases as opposed to like a wide release initially, mm-hmm. it it did quite well for its like opening weekend release. And it's still, it's at 12, 12 million now currently, seventeen worldwide. Uh, it's still, I mean, it's not. It hits, it hits nationwide this week actually. So right, yeah, this week. Right. So it'll only. Which is interesting because I feel like it's. Uh... Been out for like a month. It's like media campaign has kind of like slowed down. <laughs> it might kick like, back I feel up. Like I really yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. Coming out, mm-hmm. leading into the LA premiere, and then like now I feel like I haven't heard much about it since then. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's been out in LA for a few few weeks. Already, I think right? I think it's different depending on the market. I mean, as far as how they're yeah. advertising the movie, because it's like you know it's not PG, so it's not like it's not putting it on Disney Channel. That's for sure. Um, but, <laughs> but it's also like they're probably not putting it on you know you know during like baseball games or something either like it's probably very selective right. of how they're choosing to market the film um but yeah no it'll, you know it'll probably it'll probably climb to somewhere around 30 if i had to guess I was say like that. yeah maybe maybe hitting 40 unless, so, unless, by the way, unless, unless it, unless it breaks out i mean it's got it's got time and they to look break. great Oh, of course, yeah. That's a beautiful movie yeah. because <laughs> because they're all stop animated motion pictures, so it's like everything yeah. is just like this set production. Yeah, right. Well, can you, I also just like 
can only think about the the gag when Adam Scott's character in Parks and Recreation tries to do stop motion. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he works on it for like forever, and then it's like five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think that's all we're gonna have to say about Wes Anderson and Isle of Dogs for now. So, where can people find more of everybody online? Let's start with John. Any uh, anywhere you can be found. I mean. You know, I'm not doing too much, but if they if they really want to, you know, follow a very random group of of, of political sports and pop culture retweets, <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, at Sir John Van Dyke, J O N B A N D Y K E, and and that's and who knows, maybe someday I'll share more stuff on there, but you know, for now. Um, I'm just like you guys, just watching the world meltdown on Twitter. <laughs> Abe? Far more fun stuff at uh, my Instagram, OakleyDokley, and Twitter.com slash WalrusMoose, hashtag Atari Kobayashi Lives. Uh, you can find me at Aaron's PS4 on Twitter, writing at WeLiveEntertainment.com, where I'm covering uh, I'm covering a lot of shows, actually. Atlanta, uh, Walking Dead, and The Americans, which is back on for its final season. Final season, um, yeah. I was almost going to write about Legion, but then it's like, well, I'm already busy and horrible things happen, so I don't really have all the time in the world to do certain <laughs> things. Um, but you can also find me covering movies over on the thecodazeek.com. All my written reviews can be found there. Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us this evening. Thank you, John. Gentlemen. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this uh, bonus show, Talking Isle of Dogs. We should have another bonus episode ow, ow. coming very soon um, <laughs> for, I think, Rampage. I think we might be able to talk Rampage. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, either way, there's going to be a lot of content coming out this April, including a new commentary track and our seventh annual Summer Movie Gamble. Uh, so Seven years. So stay tuned for all of that. Um, but until next time, that's going to do it for this week's Out Now Bow Wow. So until then, so long. <laughs> that's not a name we agreed upon. And goodbye. Out Now Bow Wow. <laughs> I've lost all of my pride. I've been to paradise and out the other side. With no one to guide me. Torn apart by a fiery wheel inside me. This is going to be a straightforward episode, John. We're just going to talk about Isle of Dogs. So, uh, yeah, I figured when I didn't see any trailers or anything. Can't get my hot takes on Solo. <laughs> Ooh, you have a hot take? I don't know. I don't think I really have a hot take. Okay, because actually, uh, you want I, I think the robot. I think the robot by Phoebe. What's her name? Is going to be cool. Did Abe? Did you watch the new Solo trailer? No, I didn't. Apparently, that's one with like more Wookiee action. There's a lot of Wookiee action in it. I I did not watch uh, that trailer. Should I? That well, that so. I'll let John. I'll let. I'll let. I'll, 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 I'll let John answer second because I want. I'll, I'll say my thought on it first because I now. Granted, my disposition is a bit twi- warped these days, so maybe I'm just not quite in the mood. But apparently, I was in the minority as far as the reaction. To this. A lot of people were like, "This is way better than the first trailer," and I'm like, well, "That's fine." It just my. The more I see, it's not a spoilery trailer whatsoever. Like you get a. It's more of just like, a, "Yep, there's this movie's coming." Uh, yeah, can, way but, less spoilery than Last Jedi, man. <laughs> this uh, this one is just my general reaction has been like, well, yeah, there's a Star Wars movie. It just doesn't feel special. Like that's 
that's been my reaction to this whole thing. It's like, yeah, it exists, but like, I feel like if a Star Wars movie's coming out, I should feel something, something about it should really spark with me. Is like, man, I felt I can't... that way since the first trailer. What? Like, I felt that way since the first trailer. No, I, 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 I would agree, except I like that first trailer a lot more than this second trailer. Now, there's a lot of good moments in this second trailer, mainly because Chewbacca's doing a lot of stuff. I'm like, oh, wow, Chewbacca, this is a Chewbacca movie. That's um, good. As much as it's a Lando movie, which is what it really should be. Um, but regardless, <laughs> it's like, yeah, all right, it's, it's coming. That's I mean, in more. order to get the Millennium Falcon, you have to go through Lando. So it's got, Lando has to play a heavy part in it. I don't know. I mean, I'm very against like its existence, but if it's going to exist, um, you'd rather it be good. It is surprising how cool Donald Glover looks when we did not really think. I don't know. I didn't really quite get that casting. I think everybody's just holding their like. If you want to care about the movie, which I don't have any desire to really care about it, but I'll watch it. Um, like, I think everybody's just kind of like, but is the dude playing Han Solo going to suck? <laughs> <laughs> also, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, Donald Glover, from the second he was cast, I was into that casting. That's what got, that got I me was going into from that the casting start. Too. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I thought he had a different swagger than what Lando does. And instead, it looks like he actually does. Like, oh, he's, he got the, like, he's got that. Apparently, he's a movie star. Like, apparently, that's just, just give him another one. Just another thing he's awesome at. I never really perceived, you know, he's always either been a goofy guy or, like, on Atlanta. He's just a loser. Like, he hasn't really brought, like, a movie star charisma to something yet. Well, he hasn't, so, he's, he hasn't really been given that chance either. He's right. Just, yeah. So, so it's just kind of interesting that it's like, oh, Donald Glover can do that. So, essentially, Donald Glover can do everything. and He's more talented than everybody at everything pretty much they do. But anyway, yeah, All I right. thought the most interesting thing about the trailer was just... I guess, A, that it continues to maybe not look like quite as big of a train wreck, and then B, I was like, yes, another cool robot. So that's just what they're doing. They're just retconning cool robots into all these old mo- all these prequels and stuff. But, yeah, that, 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 that looks like what got, it's about. They've got K1SO. Yeah, so you have to hear a few lines. Sounds like it's going to be a sassy British lady. I mean, obviously, Phoebe, it's from... Uh, uh, what is it? No, I can't remember. Doctor Who? No, no, no. She's well, maybe she is, but yeah. her like famous thing is her like flea bag. There we go. Flea bag. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and she and she just wrote a new show that supposedly we're supposed to watch on BBC America, but who has time? Peak TV. Ah. It's <laughs> it's it's weird that because I've never thought it would be a trainer just because they wouldn't allow a train wreck to hit theaters. Like they're they're smart enough about that. So it's like my whole thing's well, been yeah. Kathleen, Kathleen Kennedy. Kathleen Kennedy's like it's it's like if she had, anything, but... they have to salvage something, but salvaging doesn't mean they're just gonna be like, well, that's the best we can do. They're gonna do the best they can, and if yeah. they if they wanted to push it, they would have pushed it. Like you know, so it's. It's coming out. It's opening at Cannes Film Festivals. It's like, well, they got something. Like, my biggest worry is that it's just going to be very, very, very average. And given that it's Star Wars, I should be hoping for more than very, very, very average. So yeah, that's interesting because you know I'm I'm not a big Star Wars universe kind of guy as much as you are. But um, yeah, those are my feelings too. It's like I think it's just going to be an average movie just because it's it's a spinoff of the Star Wars franchise. But how far can you take this? Because you have to keep it within the confines of what's going to happen later. You know what I mean? Oh, that's like, easy, that's easy like, enough. Like... I have no, I have no concern with how they do whatever they need to do to make the story fit into the universe. It's just more of the quality of the movie they make, which is like, all right, yeah. let's see if Ron Howard is I able mean, to come in and do what he needed to do. 
I don't know. It's it's interesting to me that like Rogue One is already like uh, apparently from the pop culture stuff I listen to found itself like in the midst of most people's top three or four. So, what is it all for personally? For me? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I mean, like, is that like it or is it? It could be five. It could be five for me, maybe. Yeah, it's kind of there for me, too. Like, I wasn't, like, like super blown away by it. My my favorite controversial thing is to to, to tout Phantom Menace as being awesome. (laughs) Aaron's left the show. What? What? (laughs) No. Uh, John Mayer, you say that he he puts, he loves Phantom Menace. I have no problem with Phantom. I I, I, I know, Aaron's actually... I'm not a prequel downer, so I don't have any issues with talking about the the merits of Phantom Menace. Um, especially because Attack of the Clones is the worst Star Wars movie. I mean, that's just obvious. So it's, you know, it's... it's, it's you wouldn't get no fat. Me being a massive Boba Fett fan, you know you know, I'm serious when I say Attack of the Clone is the worst Star Wars movie. And I don't even, and I don't even think it's a bad movie. So it's like, you know, I'm just... No. Apparently there's, like, some cartoons that, like, are doing all sorts of crazy shit. I've heard that those so are like... fantastic. Yeah. A lot of people like Rebels a lot. People like Rebels a lot more than I do. I think Rebels is fine. I like Clone Wars a lot. I think Clone Wars, Clone too. Clone Wars, that's... Sorry. Yeah. Uh, especially when it... Every, when it went dark, it goes dark, and it's like, oh, this is good stuff. This, this got some... There's some thematic well, elements here. Where does it fall in the Star Wars timeline? Is it Anakin still Anakin, right? Well, the Clone yeah, Wars, like... it's between two and three. Okay. Yeah, apparently, like, all the like badass dudes that are like barely in the movies, like, are have big parts in the cartoon. Oh yeah, no, I mean, well, the, the like Darth Maul's in like the cart, right? Darth Maul, yeah, because he he's he's alive and he's he has all kinds of things. Although I don't really care about Darth Maul, like, I, yeah, well, I know, just, but this like, is a... like that General Grievous dude. Grievous is way more. He's way more formidable in the things that aren't the movies, because the movies just like he's just kind of he's just kind of a punk. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, we're All talking right. about that's a lot of Star, that's a lot of Star Wars talk yeah. we didn't really need to get into. <laughs> good, All right, let's do this. All that great blooper material right there, apparently. There we go. It's, a, it's part of our new uh, Out Now Rants segment, which we're going to be producing. Out Now Rants, yeah. Let's get yeah. down. Let's get down that rough right now with Isle of Dogs. Rough. Yeah. Out now, bow wow. No. <laughs> yep. That's, that's what it's gonna you be. Didn't see it, but that's I, the I, title. Like that's the title of the episode. Out now, Bow Wow, Isle of Dogs. No, we're not doing that. <laughs> we, tweet, we tweet that right now. Currently recording that. No. An out now, Bow Wow. Hashtag Isle of Dogs. <laughs> Writing it. Currently Mm-mm. recording. <laughs> and. Oh, you are doing it. Out so now, Bow Wow. For the typing. With <laughs> at Walrus. <laughs> Moose at his request. I'm using my hand to actually reply to a tweet, which and I rarely do. Sir John Van Dyke. I feel like I just get brought into these like little like one-offs skirmishes. You know, never, I'm never talking to anybody else. I'm just in the, I'm just like brought out in the cold into these. We'll we'll bring you on to a group episode. We have a large table of guests. It's hard for you to keep track of everybody, and you only <laughs> see stuff so often because you don't have your fucking movie pass. But now you do, so now you can be more available. <laughs> Possible, you know. Where are you? Where are you well, writing? This is, I still don't see movies on time. It's like I'm yeah, no, like, that's oh, also what doesn't help. You can't blame me if you're not seeing movies. <laughs> it's on time. It's hard. To, first week, it's crazy. 